Good morning, soggy people. God is good. God is good in the midst of unexpected. Boy, was that unexpected or what? And um, I just want to say thank you to all the people who I have seen on Facebook. Millie has an account. I don't. You know, let me just talk about that for a minute. So now I get Facebook read to me every day. So anyway, all the pictures you guys, um, of you guys working, helping your neighbors, um, working with our city government, working with organizations that they just need hands. They just need people to come out and, and just put in some sweat equity. They got the plan. They got the idea. They know what to do to help people. I just love how you guys submitted and said, hey, man, any way we can help. I, I know we led several efforts and will continue to do that in the days to come because uh, this thing ain't over yet. For those of you who are still in water, you know that. And um, I just, I tell you, uh, my heart was just touched because that's my vision for our church. It's a part of our vision. I, I want to just say again something I say all the time, and that is when you demonstrate Jesus, you get to talk about Jesus. And you guys have demonstrated the love of Jesus in an amazing, amazing way uh, over the past few days. I do want to make sure of one thing, and that is that you saw the picture of me working. Did y'all see that? If you did not see that, I want you to go to Millie's page Man, she just said some of the nicest things about me and just a great picture. My wife, I, I never knew she really felt like that. It was, uh, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, so we're talking about evangelism and what we did, the way you guys responded during the flood, that is how you do it. That's how you do it. You demonstrate it. You tell your story of how God changed your life, and it opens up the door for people to come to know uh, Jesus Christ. I do want to mention a couple things before we get into the message today. I want to mention that Riot Weekend, next weekend, has changed. That was going to be a two-day event, Friday and Saturday, but it, there's a possibility that Saturday might be a makeup day for school, and all the students went, yay. So what uh, Pastor James has done is he has made that a one-night event, and that's going to be on Friday night. This coming Friday night, it's going to be a free event. There was going to be a charge for the weekend event, but since we're making it a one-night event, it's going to be a free event. It is going to involve a meal for all you student parents out there. So make sure you register online and let us know that you're coming so we'll have plenty of food for you. And Pastor James... He said, I know you don't usually talk about things like that before your message, but this was a last-minute change, and I'd appreciate it if you'd mention it for me, and that's why we're doing it. Offering Fit for a King. Uh, the latest number we have, and there's probably more that we haven't counted yet uh, that has already come in, but guys, so far, $217,000 has come in. And can I tell y'all that last week when we didn't have any service, that you guys gave 
the, our regular tithes and offerings along with your giving toward the offering fit for a king. I'm talking last weekend now, we weren't here. You guys gave $50,000 online last weekend. Is that, I mean, give yourself a hand. And those of you who don't know how to do that, we will teach you how to do that. Man, what a blessing. You're the most generous people I've ever served as pastor, and I just thank you so much for your faithfulness. So in our last sermon series, we talked about an expectation that God has of his followers. We talked about the expectation God has that we are generous, that we don't hold on to his blessings in our life with clenched fists but we hold it lightly. We hold our hands open so God can put it in and flow through us to meet the needs of others around us. We talked about giving. We talked about consistent giving. We talked about faithful giving. We talked about sacrificial giving. We talked about the difference in being wealthy and being blessed. And we decided that being blessed was better because that means whether you got a whole lot or whether you got a little bit, when you're blessed, God's got his hands on it. And when God's got his hands on it, we know from the story in the Bible of the little boy with the bag lunch, when God puts his hands on it, he can make a whole lot out of your little bit and the people said so that's an expectation that's an expectation that God has that we are generous that we are giving and I want to talk about an expectation today and this is a one sermon deal we'll talk about uh, we start our art weekend next week make sure you go online and check that out we'll be having our a couple of art weekends and uh, we'll be having messages about that and you'll see art from different people in our church that will be displayed all around the church. But today we want to talk about um, evangelism. We're calling this sermon Intersect. The hashtag, if you're going to put something on um, social media, is hashtag Intersect. Here's how you get the sermon notes. Um, we want to talk about how God expects us to be influential in spreading the gospel. He expects you to be, listen to this now, influential in the lives of unbelievers so that they might come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. God has called us, and there's some old words, and you know, I've been a pastor a long time. By the way, I'm 60 and proud today. I want y'all to know that, 60 and proud. Just put all your gifts right up here after the service. That'll be fine. Just pile them up right there, and I'll get those after the service. But I've been a preacher a long time. I, I accepted the call into the ministry when I was 17, and, and that's all I've ever done. I don't know how to do anything else. That's why I begged the church, please don't fire me. I don't know how to do anything else. Um, but... You know, we've used over the years, we've used words like soul winning, be a soul winner. We've tried all different kind of methods. We have tried methods to influence people to accept Jesus Christ that are very obnoxious methods. How many of you want somebody knocking on your door unannounced going, I'm here to tell you about Jesus? Not too many of us want that. Not too many of us uh, um welcome that and because our lives are so uh, planned and our lives are so scheduled we've got so many things going on but God still expects us to be evangelist listen to me you're a preacher 
you're a preacher of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a teacher of the gospel. It is your responsibility. You say, well, I know some people have gifts in that area. Yeah, they do. You know, uh, the Bible talks about one of the crowns that we will get at the end is the soul winner's crown. So, yeah, there are people that are really, really gifted at that. But I want you to understand that just like there are people who are gifted to pray, how many of us are supposed to pray? All of us. And there are people who are really gifted at evangelism. They're really gifted at sharing Jesus with people and having a lot of fruit come in from their efforts. But just because somebody's gifted at that, that doesn't mean that isn't your responsibility. It's my responsibility. i got to tell you, it's one of the most challenging things you will do as a Christian is to accept the call of God that I'm supposed to be influential in leading other people to Christ. I'm supposed to be influential in helping people understand who he is and that a lot of the pain and agony that they're going through in their life is because they've gone their own way and they haven't followed Christ. And it's my responsibility as a follower of Jesus to have influence in the lives of those who haven't followed him or aren't following him yet. Let's look in the Bible at a couple of very familiar scriptures. Jesus, uh, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, Jesus says, go therefore. And in the Greek, that is actually not go, but it's actually as you go. As you go, as you get up in the morning, as you um, are getting ready for the day, prepare your heart, prepare your mind with an understanding that you're a representative of Jesus. When you wake up, at, listen, when you leave here today, when you go out there in the parking lot, you're a representative of Jesus. So don't be telling somebody you're number one. Don't, don't do it. Be patient. When you get to Bojangles, when you get to wherever you're going to have lunch at today, you're a representative of Jesus. You're an ambassador of Christ. So as you go, as you wake up in the morning, as you wake up on a Saturday, maybe you're off on Saturday, it doesn't matter. You're never off from being a representative of God. And we're to have our head on swivel, looking around. Where is an opportunity? Where is an open door where I can have influence in the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus? Hey, listen, it might be just a quick word. It might be just to mention God or to mention prayer and just move on. We're not always the ones who reap the harvest, but we are uh, often the ones who sow the seed or cultivate the ground. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about we're not always there when that person comes to Christ, but it's those little things, those, that cumulative effect of you saying something, of you doing an act of love, of you showing an act of generosity, and then another person speaking until that person comes under conviction and they go, I need Jesus in my life. And you were a part of that. Again, you might not have been there when they made the decision, but you were a part of that process. Does that make sense? So as you go into the world, as you go into the world, uh, go and make disciples. And how do we make disciples? The first step of discipleship is becoming a follower of Jesus by accepting him as Lord and Savior. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. There's that next level of discipleship. 
uh, training them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And where is all the stuff he commanded us? It is in the word of God. It is in the Bible. And then he said, and lo, I am with you when you do this. Don't ever forget, every command of God is a promise of God. Every command of God is a promise. When God commands you to do something right on the heels of that command, he says, and I'll go with you and I'll help you do it. Every command of God is a promise of God. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we find Jesus in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Look at the reason for the empowerment of the Spirit here. Look at the reason for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You Pentecostals, you people with Pentecostal background, look at the reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Look at it. It is not for our enjoyment. It is for our employment. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he says, so you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Mark that down. How many of you enjoy the presence of the Lord? Amen. You enjoy his presence? I tell you, during worship today, I sensed his presence. I tell you, when the choir sung, I sensed his presence. How many of you enjoy it when you know God's moving in the house? Amen. You like that? You know what? That's okay with God. He wants you to enjoy it. But here's where a lot of churches get stuck. They get stuck coming to church every Sunday to enjoy him. And Monday through Saturday, they do not allow him to employ them. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you speak in tongues, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, whatever ter terminology you want to use, I'm telling you the reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you be a witness for him in this lost world. That's the word of God to us. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not primarily, I didn't say it wasn't at all for our enjoyment, but it's not primarily for that. It is for our service as witnesses, our employment. To illustrate how God works to assist us, isn't it wonderful that he assists us, and lo, I'm with you always. He assists us, and to, and to illustrate that, we're going to go to the book of Joshua today. I'm not going to read very much from Joshua because it's kind of a long story. It's most of Joshua chapter 2, but it is the story of a woman named Rahab. How many of you have ever heard of Rahab in the Bible? You've heard of Rahab? And the Bible uh, tells us in chapter 2 of Joshua that Rahab was a harlot. Yet God used her. One preacher called her the shady lady from Jericho. Do y'all remember when Charlton Heston <laughs> died? <laughs> Moses. You remember in the Ten Commandments? You know the story in the Bible. When Moses died, who took over the leadership of the nation of Israel? Joshua. Now we know that Joshua was about 6'5", 32-inch uh, waist, 40-inch chest, hair blowing in the wind. You know, like on those romance novels. I just always pictured, pictured Joshua as that kind of physique and that kind of leader. 
And Joshua took over for Moses. And there's a whole lot we could talk about here. But the Bible says Joshua did what Moses couldn't do because do y'all remember Moses disobeyed. Moses sinned. And there's so much to preach there, but I can't do it. So Joshua led the children of Israel where Moses couldn't lead them. He led them out of the wilderness across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. The first enemy they faced when they crossed over the Jordan, the first obstacle, the first thing they had to deal with was the city of Jericho. Now the city of Jericho was known for its walls. Donald Trump would have been proud. So so they were known for their walls. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and you can read this, that people lived in the walls. That's where the Hebrew word condominium comes from. Don't write that down. It's not true. But those walls were so wide that they say chariots could ride side by side around the top of the walls. And they were a pagan people, and and there was history there of how they had treated Israel in the past. And now the children of Israel cross over, and they have this huge city, these huge walls. This city that is known for its military strategy and military prowess, and and they're known for their power and their strength. And so Joshua was a tremendous military strategist himself. Listen to this. Did you know that the Israeli army today uses strategies that were first used in the Bible, that Joshua used? That's a great study to do, but that great Israeli army, and we know they are an awesome army over there in that little spot on the map because they're God's people. God has his hands on them. And so, so we see uh, Joshua thinking, how do I handle this? We're outnumbered. They have implements of war that we could only dream of. These people know how to fight. They know how to win. And we might not even be able to get to them to have a battle because of these walls. And how many of you know that God gave Joshua a strategy He said, I want you to send in spies. So he sent in two spies. And those two spies ended up at the house of Rahab. Now, when they met Rahab, when they first met Rahab, those spies, she was in a desperate situation. Let me tell you some things about Rahab. Rahab was a pagan, and she lived in spiritual darkness. She didn't know God. She was a harlot. She lived a life of sinful depravity. Rahab was a Canaanite, and being a Canaanite meant that she was destined for sure destruction because we know what happened to Jericho. But I want you to know that when we get to the end of this story, when God is done with her, when God is finished, because she opened her heart, Because she opened her life to God, when God is finished with her, she is transformed. When we get to the end of this story, Rahab is a different woman. She's a pure woman. Can I tell you something about forgiveness of sin from our God? It doesn't matter what you've done. Hey, it doesn't matter what you did last night. 
if you come to him today for forgiveness, if you come to him today for mercy and grace, when he forgives you, when he imparts his grace and his love and his mercy to you, and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, to him, it's like you never even did those things. To him, he doesn't see you as what you used to be. He sees you only for what you are at that moment you are saved and what you will be in the future. How many are glad we have a God like that? We serve a God like that. Who's needed that mercy? Who's needed that grace? Who of you have needed that kindness from him? And instead of a pagan at the end of the story who is living in spiritual darkness, because of her faith, she and she will be saved. Rahab's going to be saved. But not only will she be saved, her whole household will be saved at the end of the story. And they will be spared from the judgment of God. Instead of a harlot living in sinful depravity, she becomes a happily married woman to, of all people, a prince from Israel. Instead of a Canaanite destined for sure destruction, listen to this. Rahab will actually become a part of the house and lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, she becomes an ancestor in the flesh to uh, Isaiah's Messiah, Israel's Messiah. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother, and this may surprise you, some of you know, but she's the great-great-grandmother of King David who killed Goliath. But look where she was when God found her. Look what kind of mess she was in when God found her. But when God gets his hands in your life, when you open yourself and you let God get his hands in your life, he can change you from a harlot to a woman of grace and beauty, a man of, of integrity and boldness and faith. That's what she did. She opened her life to God. And now Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of the great King David. And as you know, Jesus Christ is born of the house and lineage of David. Here is a woman who was transformed by the power and gospel of the risen Jesus Christ. And God moves her to chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith. Have y'all read that, that chapter? Where the writer, and I believe the writer of Hebrews is Paul, where the writer just names one person after another in the Old Testament who had great faith. I mean, Abraham's there, and Noah's there, and all these great Bible characters that we all know about. And we're like, man, these are, these are like the, 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 the top ones. You know, these are the top ten awesome heroes of the Bible. Can I tell you something? Rahab is right there. Rahab's name is right there with all those great Bible characters. And I love what one preacher said. He said, when Rahab turned herself over to Jesus Christ, to God, that Old Testament um, economy of salvation, he said, God transformed her from the house of shame to the hall of fame. Amen. You know, God can do that. And you might be here today, and you're in the house of shame. It might not be that you lived a life like Rahab did. And you might say, well, Pastor, I'm not as bad as she is. And that's one of the worst things you can ever do is start comparing. Amen? To say, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad as him. Can I say something to you? Lost without Jesus is lost without Jesus. 
But the Bible says that she believed. Here's something you can tweet out if you want to. Thank God we serve a king who isn't nearly as interested in where we've been as he is in where we're going. See, some of you are sitting here today, and I know how it is. You're sitting in church, and you're thinking bad about yourself, and I can never be, and I could never do that. And Listen, I'm here telling you a story today of a woman who was a harlot who became a queen for Israel. He can transform your life. He doesn't care nearly as much about where you've been as he does about where you're going. You can decide today to take that U-turn. And he said, and I'm with you always. I'll walk with you always through it all. So we're going to break this message up into three headings very quickly. The first one is this, Rahab's confrontation. Rahab's confrontation. In Joshua chapter 2, we see how the spies came into her home and confronted her with the gospel. Now, this was no coincidence. This was providence. Now, let me tell you what the word providence means. Providence means God sees ahead and makes provision. How many of y'all knew we didn't know what this storm was going to do, but God knew what this storm was going to do? And God has showed up in so many ways and revealed himself in so many ways. God sees ahead and makes provision. Maybe Rahab didn't know all this was going to happen and the spies didn't know it was going to happen like this, but God knew and they go into the home of this Rahab, a lost woman, a woman without God, disconnected from God spiritually, and she's about to face the judgment of God with the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho. And I want to do a little old-fashioned preaching this morning, if I may. Can I tell you that if you leave this world without Jesus Christ, you will enter into eternal judgment? Now, I know it's hard to say amen to that, and, and I know we don't preach on it much anymore, but can I say something about hell? Hell is a real place, and people really go there. And I want you to know Jesus Christ. And this woman, Rahab, is a picture of us. She is headed for sure destruction. I'm telling you, we sung the song when we were little in Sunday school. How many of y'all remember what happened to Jer Jericho? The walls came a tumbling down. Y'all are deep theologians. Good job. Aren't you glad for Rahab's sake? Aren't you glad for Pharaoh Hardison's sake? Aren't you glad for your sake that we serve a God who does not give us what we deserve? He gives us what we need. He didn't give Rahab what she deserved. He gave her what she needs. She needed salvation, and she embraced it. He doesn't look at what we are. He looks at what we're going to be. He doesn't think about where we've been he thinks about where we're going this is the god we serve there's something that set rahab apart from all the other inhabitants of jerusalem i mean why did she get saved why didn't why didn't all of jericho get saved and i'm probably saying jerusalem when i should be saying jericho i'm 60 <laughs> be patient so rahab is rahab is different than the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho. What, what, is, what makes her different? Though she's disconnected from God, the Holy Spirit's been working on her. The Holy Spirit's been working in her life. 
to receive this God of Israel, to open herself to this God of Israel. Maybe she didn't know they were coming, but God set it up for her to receive these spies and to receive what they would say to her and to receive their witness and their stories. And now, unlike the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho, she has a desire to know God. She doesn't know him, but she's got a desire. All of a sudden, birthed in her is a desire. And we'll talk about where that came from in just a little while. And then on the other side, you got the spies. So you got, so, so you got if, if this pulpit, if this stand were the separation between Israel's army and Jericho, you've got the spies over here and God's working on them. That represents us, Christians. And then you've got Rahab over here and the Holy Spirit's working on her and that represents the lost world. God has called the bridge to reach. Now they don't know about her and she don't know about them, but God knows about both of them. And miraculously, in his providence, God intersects the lives of those believers with that unbeliever. And she comes to know Jesus. That's how the Holy Spirit works. I want to, I want to tell you something. God is working on people out there right now to receive your witness. God is working on people out there right now to receive your act of kindness, your act of generosity, your act of love. And when you do that act, they're going to ask you questions. Why? Why in a world of division and hatred and we're marching the streets against each other and we're killing each other, why would you do good for me? And that door is going to open wide open and you've got to be ready so you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you and get you ready because you're confident that the Holy Spirit's working on somebody out here to get them ready to receive your witness. There are many examples of this in the Bible. In John 1, Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, the four men are on their way to church and God intersects their life with an unbelieving crippled man. And that unbelieving crippled man ends up in church and he finds Jesus as his Lord and Savior. In John 4, a disgraced woman is drawing water from a well. She didn't know. But God intersected her life with the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you'll drink my water, you'll never thirst again. In Mark 5, there's a woman who's been sick for 12 years. And God intersects her life with the life of Jesus. And she is not only healed, but first of all, he says, woman, which is way more important than being healed. We give a lot more attention when somebody gets healed than we do when somebody gets saved. Isn't that a shame? If somebody were healed of blindness here today in the service, we would tell it everywhere we go. But if a sinner came up here today and gave their heart to Jesus, ho-hum. Listen to me. It was far more important that Jesus said to that woman with the issue of blood, woman, your sins are forgiven than it is for her to be healed. Come on. Now, I'm not against healing. I welcome healing. Thank both of you for that clap. Listen, I'm, I'm all for healing, but I'm telling you, it disturbs me that we get more excited about somebody getting healed than we do about somebody being born again into the family of God. We ought to be celebrating 
people coming to Jesus. And when you read numbers that we put out from time to time of people that got saved, we ought to celebrate as if to save five people who were blind can now see because they can in the spiritual world. And that's far more important than being able to see in the physical world. That's good preaching right there. Amen. In Acts 8, Philip intersects with an Ethiopian. That Ethiopian is reading from the book of Isaiah, but he doesn't know what he's reading. Philip just got filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. His life intersects with that Ethiopian. That Ethiopian gets saved. Philip takes him right down to the water and baptizes him. And many scholars believe that that Ethiopian went back to northern Africa and many multiplied thousands were saved because of his witness. You never know who you're going to lead to Jesus. You might lead a Billy Graham to Jesus. You probably won't be in the book they write, but you would, God would know. God would know. In Acts 10, God puts Peter with Cornelius. I could go on and on. The same Lord who orchestrated these connections in working uh, in this community and in this church and in your life is doing the very same thing right now, today, as we watch him at this very moment. God is preparing your life to intersect with the lives of those who need Jesus. God isn't interested in your ability nearly as much as he's interested in your availability. So are you available to God? I'm asking you a big question. Are you available? What if God wanted to use you today at a restaurant? Are you, are you, you got your head on swivel or are you so hungry you don't have time to, come on. Are you, are you thinking about that? Hey, this is a challenge to me. How many of y'all just got a ton of stuff on your mind? And when you got a ton of stuff on your mind and and you've made priorities of things that God hasn't made priorities, but you've made them priorities. You know what? You can have an open opportunity to be Jesus to somebody and totally miss it because you're not on God's page. You're on your own page. That's good preaching right there. Have you made yourself available to the bridge? Have you said, Pastor Jimmy, I'll serve. Have you said, Pastor Andy, I'll serve. Pastor Jared, I'll serve. Have you said that? Have you made yourself available, Pastor Andrew? I'll serve. Can we give it up for the people in Mount Olive today having their very first service? Awesome. Have you prayed this? Have you gotten on your knees and said, Lord, as you prepare the hearts of unbelievers to receive your truth, I make myself available to be used by you to love them, to minister to them, to serve them, to lead them to you? Which brings us to the second thing, her conviction. And I'm moving quickly here. Not really, but it helps you. Her conviction, how could a pagan, how could a Canaanite, how could a prostitute ever have such conviction that she would desire to know God? What causes lost people to come under conviction? You guys know what conviction is? How many of you who are Christians remember the days you were under conviction to become a Christian? Those were some miserable days, buddy. You think every sermon's aimed at you, don't you? You say, well, I've been feeling like that for the last few weeks. You're under conviction. I've had people come out mad at me. I know somebody talked to you. I know somebody told you. And then you got up there and preached on us. I said, dude, I don't even know who you are. 
because it's usually a dude. <laughs> that's conviction. That's conviction. It is when it is when your heart. You realize you're lost. You realize you're cut off from God. You realize your sin separates you from God. And, and then there's that part of you that yearns to have peace and, and yearns to, to know forgiveness and yearns to have the freedom of, of that sin not bearing down upon you. And, and there's that conviction. How did this woman come under conviction? From what I can tell in this story, conviction gripped Rahab's heart because she had heard about the undeniable, inexplainable miracles that God had done in the hearts and lives of the people of Israel. She had heard stories. Look at Joshua 2 and 10. This is Rahab talking. Rahab says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, she goes on to list other miracles, and you can read that in your own time, not now while I'm preaching. You can go on and read chapter 2 because it's like a movie. I mean, it's a powerful chapter. She said, I want you to know that I've, I, I, I've heard about your God. I've heard about His power. I've heard about the miracles. I've heard about what He does. I've heard about His love for His people. I've heard about His protective hand. Miracles have been happening among Israel's people. And we as unbelievers, this is what she was saying in essence, have been hearing about your God. Dr. Stephen Olford is in heaven now, but he was one of my favorite preachers uh, and still is on tape and video. He says, if you can easily explain in natural terms everything that's happening in your life and in your church, then there isn't much happening. He says, there should be miracles of life change happening that cannot be explained in natural terminology. Here's what I'm saying to you. When the power and presence of God is so evident in your life, when it is so real and so evident in the life of this church, then that unbelievers cannot deny it. See, she couldn't deny it. There was no way she could, de could deny it. I love over in the book of Acts when they arrest the disciples and then they go to a back room to talk about what they're going to do with these disciples. One of, the, uh, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin looks at another and he says, great miracles have been done and we cannot deny it. And when God begins to move in your life individually and God begins to move in this church the way he wants to, people are going to hear about the power of God and they're going to come under conviction. And they may not be saved here. They may not come to Jesus here, but that doesn't matter. Maybe they'll find a church somewhere where they can find Christ. But that is why Rahab was under conviction. She had heard how the Israelites had been defeating the enemy. And the people of this community need to hear how the bridge is defeating the enemy. One of the great illustrations is found on the day of Pentecost. I want you to look at two questions that were asked on the day of Pentecost when the power of God fell. First of all, when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2, they said, what does this mean? What does this mean? They didn't know what it meant. There ought to be things going on in the bridge that the world doesn't understand. Come on. Amen? What does this mean? But then they were attracted to it, so their next question was, what shall we do? You know what? To put that in modern-day language, they were like, we want some of that action right there. What must we do? What must we do to know this 
thing, this phenomenon, this move of supernatural power. What must we do? And Rahab was like that all the way back in the book of Joshua. She came under conviction in her heart when she heard the miracles of God happening among the people of God. Here's the word I want to leave with you on this point, and then I'm done. The Rahabs of this community. There are Rahabs in our community. There are Rahabs in our community waiting for the witness of the bridge. They're not going to come here and get it. They're not going to come hear me preach. They're not going to come hear our choir sing like they did this morning. They're not going to come hear Pastor Jared and our awesome worship team. They're not going to come. We have to go ye therefore. We have to as you go into the world, let my light shine through you so that those who are without me will see my light in you. People aren't waiting for another explanation of the gospel. They're waiting for another demonstration of the gospel. So my point there is that your story, and work on that. I know we preach about it and we talk about it, but work on your story. What is your story? See, that was the thing that got Rahab. That was the thing that got her, was the story she had heard. It wasn't that they broke open the scriptures and and gave beautiful exegesis of the scriptures. And I'm not not against that. That's a wonderful thing. It wasn't that they broke down the Hebrew. And it wasn't that they, they went into the depths of scripture with her. She heard their story. She's heard their story. And when she heard their story, her first thought, even as an unbeliever, was there must be some kind of supernatural God somewhere. And so she believed. And here it comes, the final thing, her conversion. You say, how do you know she was converted? Well, Hebrews 11.31 tells us. Let's look at it. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed. She wasn't destroyed. With the people in her city who refused to obey God. The people in the city refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She welcomed their message. She welcomed their story. And by faith in God, by faith in Jehovah, she was saved and was not destroyed. So applicable to today, to our time. Rahab was saved from destruction because she responded in faith. It wasn't because of her good deed to the spies. You're not saved by good deeds. You're not saved by being a good person. You're saved by faith in the cross. You're saved by faith in the empty tomb. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to note that her salvation led to the salvation of her family. And I I close with this. How many times have I closed? Like eight. Let me just tell you. So, So they tell her, Hey, we're going to come in and destroy. You know, we're going to destroy Jericho, or God is. She goes, well, I don't want to be destroyed. I've had faith in God, and, and, and I don't want my family to be destroyed. She said, now, I've had faith in God. I know I'm going to be saved. I've, I've been saved, but I want my family to be saved. And here's what they told her. They said, well, here's what you do, Rahab. You take a red rope and tie it in the window of your home. And you bring your family in that home. 
And everybody who's in this room, everybody who's in this house with the red rope hanging out will not be destroyed. That red rope's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the blood. What does the Bible say about the blood of Jesus? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no doing away with sin. Here's what it proves. It proves that Rahab was saved looking forward to the cross. We're saved looking back at the cross. She was saved looking forward to Messiah Jesus. And everybody who was under the blood, everybody who was under the red rope was saved. You remember when the death angel passed over in that story of the Ten Commandments? That movie, The Ten Commandments, you remember when the plagues came upon Egypt and the death angel came and he said, but what about Israel? And they said, take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it over the doorpost. And when the death angel passes over, when he sees the blood, he will pass he will pass over you. So wherever the blood was applied to the doorpost, there was no death. It is a picture of real biblical salvation that the blood of Jesus is applied and our sins are washed away. It is the detergent. It is the supernatural detergent of God that washes away every sin. So here's what I want you to leave with today. If you don't know Christ, I want you to come to know him in this service. You don't have to wait. Those of you who know him, I want you to understand that you are like those spies. You are a follower of Jesus, and the Rahabs are out there waiting for your witness. Are you available? Are you available to God? Use me, God. Use me to bring people to you. You know what? I hope at the end, when you're standing at the gates of heaven and you're about to walk in, that there's a whole bunch of people behind you. And Jesus says, well, who are those? And you'll say, they're the ones I brought with me. They're the ones I brought with me, Lord. They're the ones I talked to about you, and they received you. Let's bow our heads. Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Please, right there where you are, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Have you asked him? Have you opened your life to Jesus? Right there where you are, right now, open your life to Jesus. And say, Lord, I've been running from you. I've been running from you. I've made all kinds of excuses, Lord, for not surrendering myself to you. But today, I'm going to stop running. I need you. I need you, Jesus. My schemes aren't working. My strategies aren't working. My conniving and planning is not working. I need you, Jesus. I need you. And I surrender right now, Lord. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I don't know all the answers. I've still got questions. There's still some things I don't understand, but this thing I know, I need you. And I know you died on the cross for me, and I know that you rose from the dead to give me life. I believe in your resurrection from the grave. 
and I embrace your plan of salvation for me. Lord, by faith, I surrender my life to you. Nobody looking? If you prayed that today, you've not prayed that before. You've been thinking about it, but you've never prayed it before. You've never asked the Lord into your life before, but today was the straw. It was the last straw. And today, the best you know how, and you don't know what you're going to do this afternoon. You don't know how you're going to live this thing out. You're not sure how you're going to walk it out tomorrow. But as of right now, you've just surrendered your life to Christ. I want you to raise your hand and put it right back down. Just put it up and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Now, Father, we thank you for those who raised their hand. We thank you, God, for those who made that commitment to you today. Now I pray for your followers. I pray for believers. I pray for those of us who do know you, that we will understand that we are like those spies and there are Rahabs waiting for us out there, and you're going to intersect our life with their life. I'm ready. I'm ready, God, for that. I am available I'm going to seek your wisdom. I'm going to seek your guidance. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to prepare myself. But God, I'm ready to tell my story. I am ready to tell my story. Thank you, Father, for this day and this time together. Let us go forth and be a witness in this dark world that so desperately needs your gospel. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. One more thing. As you're leaving today, we're doing one for change. One dollar. One dollar. Every penny received today goes to help people who were harmed during the flood. Every dollar you give on your way out goes to help those who were challenged in the flood. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much for being with us today.